Welcome to the Ottawa Life Magazine podcast, coming to you from the heart of Canada's capital in downtown Ottawa. For the past 25 years, Ottawa Life has been the go-to print and online platform to discuss politics, music, art, social, and international issues, and more to keep you up to date. Thanks for tuning in with us today. Thank you for taking the time. Pleasure. Congratulations on uh, Excelsior. Thank you very much. I want to take, I want to take you through that if I can. I, I was doing some background reading on it and um, Excelsior means upward. And I'm told that uh, it's also the uh, New York state motto. That's right. And you're from Canada, which is upward. <laughs> well, you couldn't go because you were stuck. Exactly right. And that's, that's interesting to me because COVID was such a period of isolation and solitude for a lot of people. Yeah. You had a great podcast, if I can call it that, uh, live from home on on uh, Patreon, and and such a following of fans, I think, that helped people during COVID. And I know yourself, I, from what I've read, that you you have family in Canada, you couldn't get home. Right. Then I listened to the album, and first of all, I loved it. Thank you. It sounded like a big production, big sounding album. I understand that uh, Kevin Fox played cello on that and and was part of the production of it. But as I listened to it, at first I was going, okay, well, this is the themes of solitude are in this. It's somber. It's it's enlightening. It's endearing at times. It's I found it to be reflective. And then I found it interesting in the last couple of songs, which I want to talk to you about. It got sort of more upbeat and it had that. uh, I don't know if this is a music term, Stephen, but that jangly sound, your signature voice. And I was, I just found it just at the end, just this very melodic, comforting album. Am I anywhere in the zone? And one other question. I'm, I'm not a, obviously I'm not like a musician guy. I love music, but I wish I could play, but is there a flute on this somewhere? Because I swear to God, I heard the flute. I think it was on, um, on on the golden age of doubling down or maybe it was in in the in the course or something um there's there i tried to play i played flute in high school i tried to play some flute on one of the songs but uh i, I couldn't pull it off so actually i played a melodica which is like a little keyboard you blow into it okay like, you know almost like a harmonica but except you blow into it and play like piano keys on it so that was instead of the flute so that's probably what you're hearing there so i i thought that zoom was the the first release off right. the new album and and obviously i i would say that that's tied to your uh your podcast mm-hmm. and and on zoom can you just talk a bit about that it's a it's a great tune thank you yeah it's um i wrote it because you know at the, the beginning of pandemic when things were, were were shutting down and people were were staying home i watched a lot of musicians doing live streams you know on facebook and instagram and youtube and so on and I kind of I resisted it because I felt like uh, the idea of just kind of singing into the abyss of your your computer's webcam or whatever just seemed like I mean it seemed like hell to me. And then uh, I watched a friend of mine, Dan Mangan from Vancouver, uh, mm-hmm. do uh, a concert over Zoom, and I thought it was amazing because not only could I see him and he could see the audience, but we in the audience could all see each other. So I thought, well, I'm going to try that. I'll try try doing one of those concerts. And it was amazing. I mean, the first one we had 
a thousand people at this thing. I didn't have a thousand people every time, but uh, you know, it, it it's it kind of really found I found it really invigorating, not just being able to see the audience, but over time watching them connect with each other and create friendships. You know, it, you could see it happening in the chat and so on, where people were were actually connecting with each other, and that was like something we all needed in that in that time that um and so writing that song i wrote it specifically because i would do these shows every week and you know doing these shows compared to like the kind of concert you do when you're traveling on the road like when i'm traveling i can more or less have the basic skeleton of a set list and play generally the same show every night i might switch out a few songs here or there but it doesn't matter because it's a different audience every night but on a weekly basis, you often have a lot of the same viewers. You have to kind of treat it more like you're programming a, uh, a weekly TV show or something. So mm -hmm. you have to make every set different, which for me was a lot of work, work I loved, but it was uh, not a way I was used to working where I was writing, writing new material or I would do a show that was alphabetical or a show that was um, I would do each of my albums, including all the Brand Naked Ladies albums in chronological order over the course of 10 weeks or whatever. And for some of these shows, there were some songs like, for example, I didn't have a song that started with Zed. And so I thought, well, I'll write yes. a song about Zoom and uh, <laughs> and I'll write about, about the experience that all of us shared over the course of this pandemic and how honestly, I'm not usually the person who is particularly trusting of big technology. I don't think they necessarily have our sure. best interests at heart, but sometimes we are able to use their tools that they give us for the greater good. And I think that's what happened for us with the, with zoom. Well, I certainly think that during COVID there was a, um, a nexus point between the technology and the music and the efficiency of that. Mm -hmm. uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, I was following, uh, Jim Cuddy, who you know, in blue rodeo, sure. they, they, Jim Cuddy was doing some stuff from his home in Toronto. Mm -hmm. And I found that kind of strangely, intimate in terms of the connection i'd never felt close like i when well, i've gone to many blue rodeo concerts sure. been to many bare naked ladies concerts as well and and uh but i and and i just found it a different experience but i felt almost as intimate as if i was in a theater closer in a way yeah did you find that with your audience absolutely i mean you know you're still performing for them but at the same time you're also connecting with them on a very different level than than you're used to um and I think that, you know, I think for many of them, they really felt a level of connection to me uh, that was helpful to them and, you know, felt help and helpful to me. Like by the time I released this album, I think people were, were particularly invested in what the results of this would be like, what they would hear me working on songs and then for them to actually have kind of the finished product on their computer or phone or whatever else is like, uh, feels special to them in a way that, that it wouldn't have if they hadn't have been around for the for the making of it. In many ways, it's almost like you haven't missed a beat since just pre-COVID, through COVID, after COVID. You Pre-COVID, of course, was the big uh, show at the Junos with uh, you sing with the Bare Naked Ladies. Yep. And I have to say, just as, a, as someone observing that, it was, uh, I've never seen such a more joyous sort of occasion. You seem to be having a hoot that night. Oh, the yeah. crowd was having a hoot. It was a real music moment in time, I think, for, for Canadians and for our music chapter of the last 30 years. 
then we went from that into COVID. You did your live from home thing. You've been, uh, you've played with the Vancouver uh, uh, Orchestra, Symphony Orchestra. You've, you've uh, been inducted into the, I believe, the Songwriter Hall of Fame. Then I heard that you, besides doing this album, you opened for The Who mm-hmm. in Chicago. And yeah, five, <laughs> that's fantastic. Five, so, five can you shows. talk about that for a second? Did Toronto, New York, Detroit, Chicago, and Columbus. And yeah, it was amazing. It was just to be able to, you know, I, and I went just with my trio. So it was just myself, Craig Northey on guitar and Kevin Fox on cello. And, you know, you know, people, I think some people will thought, well, how are you going to do that opening for the who? It's a big rock band. If you're just doing this little <laughs> acoustic trio. But my answer is just turn it up louder. And that's what we did. And we went in there and, and were you uh, able to turn the cello up. Oh yeah. I mean, there's, there's lots of, lots of room on that baby to just crank it. And then, you know, it rocks and uh, it was great. People, uh, people loved it. And, you know, we loved being able to do it. And then the best, the icing on the cake was I got to watch the who five times, which was yeah. amazing. They're still, they still sound absolutely fantastic. So that was great. Well, it's interesting to me that you have the same kind of stave pre- stage presence as a Canadian uh, singer songwriter, as as Pete Townsend, for example, and who that was always a, a great thing about you, your connectivity with the audience. You know him doing that, yeah, winding guitar oh, thing, and you jumping around and doing things. Yeah. When, when I heard that you were doing that, it made a lot of sense to me. I thought, okay, I can see why Stephen Page would do that. So I started looking back just a little bit into your sort of musical beginnings, and I I I was reading that. You're a fan of Billy Bragg, mm-hmm. Sky Digger, Spirit of the West. Sure. And you had mentioned in some other interviews that when you were younger, you would watch them perform. You were inspired by those types of performances. Can you just maybe talk a little bit about how the different bands and musicians in your life have sort of impacted your own performance in music and writing? Sure. I mean, you know, from the earliest ones that we that we would work with when Ed and I were just an acoustic duo, we would, uh, you know, uh, tour with um, the comedy group Corky and the Juice Pigs. We opened for them. Yes, yes, of course, they were hilarious. Yeah, they were awesome. We were just huge fans of theirs. And Sean, we, Sean Cutlin, correct? Yep, that's right. Yep. And so we were such huge fans of theirs that we would show up at all their shows and give them our tape and whatever, <laughs> and say, "Please, can we do some shows with you?" And eventually, they actually asked us to tour with them. So we, as nineteen-year-old kids, got in the van with Corky and the Juice Pigs. And we learned, you know, how to organize a set list, like how to how to make the show flow, how to deal with adversity from the audience. You know, often we were playing comedy nights at universities or whatever. And we were, you know, they're a comedy group with music. We were a musical group sure. with humor. And it didn't yeah, always sure. fit into a comedy night because people expect to go and laugh first and foremost. And ours worked best when we were giving music and people didn't expect to laugh. And then they did. Then they would would laugh and it would feel good. So, you know, we learned how to play to different audiences through them. And then, yeah. Then farm Aid, Farm Aid, right? Oh, yes. Yeah, we did Farm Aid. Back I mean, then. that was, for me, in the early days when you were singing and performing, yeah. I recall seeing you with John Mellencamp and Farm Aid, yeah. and you guys stole the show. I mean, it was just infectious. It was incredible. Perfor- it was performance art, really, yeah. with music. Well, we loved we loved being on that. And, of course, like... To be with, like, for us, I mean, our heroes, Neil Young and 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 Willie Nelson, oh, you know, just to be sure. uh, to be in in their world was pretty pretty amazing. And we also got to do the Bridge School benefit with with Neil, so he was. Uh, I used to think when when I would watch you guys doing Farm Aid, 
like, oh my God, what would Willie Nelson be thinking right now seeing these guts from Canada? They must just, he must just love this. <laughs> this he is was, over the top hilarious. He was always very, and fantastic very, music, obviously. Very kind to us. So he was always very, very nice and very kind and, and, uh, and complimentary. Uh, one other thing I read about your, when you were younger, just going back to that theme, because I'm interested in how you sort of developed your, you've written so many wonderful songs that are part of this sort of Canadian songbook. One of the things I read that, that you had said was that when you were younger, you saw the violent femmes mm -hmm. in 1986 and you said it was a life changing experience for you. Totally. And I thought that's interesting because I happen to know that I, I read somewhere else that like Dwight Yoakam used to open for the violent femmes. I mean, that's, that's a country opening for this like violent femmes group. And I thought, well, that's interesting to me that Stephen Page would have been interested in, in that whole sort of scene. Can you just talk about that for a second? Well, and you talk about Dwight Yoakam, that's around the same time as like the guitars Cadillacs record and stuff, you know, in the, yes, in, in guitar, that. Yeah. that, I remember when that record came out and Steve Earle's guitar town came out and there was this kind of mm -hmm. blurring between what I saw as kind of, I, I don't know what they called it at the time, but like college rock or something, which was what Violent Femmes mm -hmm. were, kind of the post-punk time. And then yeah. this resurgence of what was new country at that time. There was a lot of a lot of places where those mu those that music overlapped. But for me, uh, Violent Femmes, the, one of the big things about it was the fact that it was a largely acoustic group and was a small group, a small ensemble that mm -hmm. could make a lot of noise. And for me, that was like, we talked you mentioned earlier like spirit of the west or um uh billy bragg all artists who were ingrained in like they, they had one foot in the folk tradition and one foot in the punk tradition and that to me was what was most exciting in in, in my and so, somewhere in between there is there that sort of social part of that i mean you've sure i only mentioned that because you you sang at jack layton's funeral yeah uh in fact it's interesting but that i, I in another life I, I i worked in politics in the danforth the, the guy that ran against jack D dennis uh, mills a liberal mp they were they were colleagues and friends behind the scenes you know oh, yeah. i think it's important for people to know that well Den dennis was, was deep my feeling was, for jack dennis was my neighbor and and always you know he knew i i was I worked with Jack and worked to help him, but he was always like a, you know, a, a great member of the community. And, and we had lots of mutual respect. It wasn't the way politics seemed to be these yeah. days. It was, uh, you know, there were, there were, I think everybody kind of worked together for a common cause just with from coming from different points of view. It's funny you say that. Cause when I listened to your song, the golden age of doubling down, I was thinking of it maybe wrongly, you know, my, of, in sort of the political context of how everybody just sort of doubles down and they're oh, not sort of working together today. That's exactly what it's about. It's about how people can be, how cho they choose to be cruel to each other because it makes them yeah. somehow feel better in the moment rather than, than how people can actually work together. Sometimes we're all angry with the same thing, but we, we have to kind of like separate ourselves or somehow make ourselves the star of the story. And that's where, you know, that song is also something about me, which ends the record just about people's, you know, I'm, I'm guilty of it too. Sometimes wanting to be the, the main character in the story all the time, rather than about working together for something bigger. Well, in a recent story, of course, the, 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 our, the queen passed away and you were asked, uh, as I understand, to go to, you went to England to do a performance uh, related to the queen's death, uh, September, 8th, I believe it was September 8th performance. I think that was uh, 
quite an extraordinary thing. Can you just speak to that for a moment? Because you had a lot of things going on, but that must have happened very quickly. Well, no, we were already there, and we were about to start a, a, a concert tour. Okay. And the first show of our tour was the day that she passed away. So what we had to do was um, was actually tell the audience because we were doing a, a pre-show sound check meet and greet thing. I actually had to tell the audience the news. Uh, which was not something I had uh, walked into that bargaining for. But the entire time that we were touring the UK was the uh, was the same time as the national period of mourning. So it was a definitely a, a, a strange time to be on the road in the UK, but uh, also very fascinating to be there for you know such a historical moment too. Sure, sure. Well, you've you're touring. You have the new album some of the songs on the new album are can you just speak to there's one in i wanted to ask you about how much is enough mm. that's actually a song that, can that, you talk yeah that came from uh i wrote it for a musical i'd written it was uh supposed to be on stage at the stratford festival in 2020 and then the pandemic hit and we had to cut the rehearsal short we were all getting ready to go but that was a song that uh, i had written for this musical called uh called here's what it takes and it was uh a song for a character whose presence in the in the in the play had grown significantly and they needed a big song and it was a song that i labored over and i really kind of fell in love with it and i and uh, i had done a lot of different versions of it demos of it in different keys for different singers different musical settings and i landed on this setting for myself and i just i kind of felt like it just fit with the rest of this record really nicely well, I think for, for me, that's my favorite song on the album. It's on my playlist. I, I really love the lyrics in it. And I, I think it's a it's a great song. It's a great album. So what's next? You're touring. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what's next after The Who and, and after the, all of these things you've done in your career? But what's your what's the pathway between now and Christmas, uh, Steve? Well, I'm, uh, between now and Christmas, I've got a bunch of you know, we're, we have some shows in, uh, in BC at the beginning of November. And then we go down the, from Minneapolis all the way down the Midwest of the United States down to Texas. And that takes us to the end of November. Uh, then I'm doing a couple of, um, holiday shows with my friends in the art of time ensemble in Toronto on the 9th and 10th of December. And then I'm off until middle of January. And then plan is to do the West coast of the U S in January. And then hopefully a Canadian tour in March. Um, and then we'll see from there. Well, you know, we love you in Canada. We, as people in Ottawa, lo love your music. They love Bare Naked Ladies. They love Stephen Page. Uh, we're going to make sure that uh, they're, they're going to hear more about your album. I, I guess, on a final note, I, I'd just like to get your thoughts on the industry today in Canada, you know, the landscape in Canada. There's a lot of young artists today. Bare Naked Ladies, of course grew out of i would say the 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 bruce coburn lovers in his dangerous time that truck video you guys did in scarborough and driving around in the cold and these guys from scarborough for god's sakes yep uh and then you went on to you know be my own a million dollars one one week the big the big massive sort of commercial hit things have changed so much in the industry today as someone who's a successful songwriter musician who's written these chapters in music what what are your thoughts or observations for younger people coming up today and well, by the way i, I want to add to that i saw you guys in a, on a thing on social media from 
you were at the Much Music. That remember that camera they had down on yeah. Queen Street in yeah. Toronto, Speakers and y'all got in that booth, and you sang "Be My Yoko Ono." Yep. <laughs> I mean, Speaker's Corner it was, was pretty a big, creative big back then. What us. would you say to kids today? Well, I think you know, I would be. I mean, I know I, I try to use social media as best I can, but uh, you know, there is how do you actually connect with an audience? I don't really know the answer. I think that you know we see the biggest amount of um, Canadian artists who are successful in the history of our country. Like, you know, look at the top 10, top 20 records. It's full of Canadians um, internationally mm-hmm. now um, who are absolutely huge megastars. And that has never been the case. And it was, you know, we have these kind of waves of Canadians, but how people get there uh, requires a level of internet savvy i do not have <laughs> and uh, uh i you know we were very fortunate you talked about that speaker's corner booth but things like that things like much music and the cbc that were kind of centralized ways to get canadian music across to canadian audiences were hugely helpful to us 30 years ago um there aren't those same kinds of avenues everything is a lot more fractured now Um, you know you're 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 kind of reaching micro versions of those things and uh and and you have to kind of really segment yourself in order to meet a mass audience so i think it's a lot harder but i think there's a lot more room for more artists and that's the positive side is there is room for more artists to be out there building audiences well, on that note, I, I, Stephen, I, and I hope you continue to be part of that and continue to share your music with Canada and Canadians and the international audiences. I uh, just want to uh, thank you for joining us on the Ottawa Life Magazine podcast today. Congratulate you again on your wonderful album. I encourage uh, our listeners to get it. There's some phenomenal songs on it, great lyrics. Uh, no surprise coming, coming from the signature voice of Canada's own, all the way from Syracuse. Stephen Page. Thank you, Stephen. See you soon. Thanks so much for having me on. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Tune into our next episode on cancel culture on steroids as we discuss the evisceration of John A. McDonald by people who don't know their history.